0: I've been so grateful to join in this journey with you. And today's our last step together, but it's a really important step. In fact, it's a step that a lot of people stop just short of before they make it. And that's a shame because if you do, there'll be something incomplete about your journey. There's a place that my family likes to go that includes a five mile hike. And I always make a joke with my boys around the four mile marker. I'll say, hey guys, you want to turn back now? And of course their answer is no, we're almost there. Why would we stop short of our destination? Why would you stop short of your destination? Because remember, the destination in this journey is you. In week one, I told you that this journey is all about discovering who you are in your relationship with God. That's the destination. The real you made in the image of God. The word destination comes from the word destiny. So this journey is really about you finding your destiny. And there's some important parts that we've talked about that are critical to you getting there. Understanding that God wants a relationship with you, coming to grips with your own sin, and taking a step of faith and trusting God and His grace in Jesus. But there's one final important step in this journey to your destiny. Jesus established a new covenant to put a new life in you and me. See, Jesus did something new to us to do something new through us. And getting to that point in your journey is where you find your destiny. few years ago, I did a massive closet cleaning. And I'm not talking about just a little spring cleaning. I mean, it was one of those where I went in and tried on everything in the closet. I I don't know what it was, but just kind of that mood hit me. Anybody else have done that? Perhaps you did that during quarantine because you had nothing to do, right? Uh, But it was just this massive uh, closet cleaning. And to my surprise, just by hanging in my closet, uh, the waist in many of my pants had shrunk. I don't know what was going on in my closet. Has anybody else experienced that? (laughs) But what was funny is I came out and I realized that a lot of my clothes were a little dated. There were a lot of pleated pants and a lot of Affliction t-shirts from Rue 21. And a 40 something year old dad does not need to be wearing Affliction t-shirts from Rue 21. Uh, and maybe you've had that, and it was, it was, such, a funny, it was such a funny exercise, because I would come out of, uh, into the bedroom, and, uh, and Emily, my wife, would be there, and she would say, like, yeah, that, that doesn't look like you anymore, and I was like, no, it, it really doesn't, and I would just say, like, this kind of looks like who I used to be, and that's a problem in the church sometimes, because too often, Christians still look like who they used to be. Too often, Christians still look like the person that they were B.C., before Christ. Too often, Christians look like who they used to be. In fact, too often, the church has stopped at what we're going to talk, talk about today and what we talked about last week. Too often, the church stops at the message of grace. That's what we talked about last week. And grace is the most important concept in the Christian faith. It is what separates Christianity from everything else. And listen, I am all in on grace. Grace is the best thing going today. It is the free, totally unmerited favor of God. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We can't achieve it. We can't get it. It is God's free gift of salvation given to us, forgiveness of sins through Christ's death on the cross, an exclamation point through his resurrection, and we are saved from eternity without him and for an eternity with him in heaven. It's good stuff. I, listen, I love grace great stuff. It's, there's a reason we call it amazing, right? It's amazing grace. It's, the, it's great stuff. We get to go to heaven. It's not based on our behavior or actions. It is this new covenant of the forgiveness of sins through the body and blood of Jesus. And God's presence opens up for us, and we talked about that a little bit last week. If you're kind of new, or just to refresh you, that the temple curtain ripped in two when Jesus died on the cross and opened up the presence of God, where the presence of God literally rested in the temple, and now because of God's grace on the cross. This free gift, God's presence, is now available to you. It's not more available to me as a pastor than it is to you. It's not more available to a priest. It's, it's for everybody. You're free. You're forgiven. The sacrifice has been made. And then sometimes, because of that, Christians put stickers or car tags on their car that say something like this, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. And that's true. It is true, right? You agree with that statement? It's true. But being forgiven means being redeemed, restored into his image, cleansed from our sins, saved from our past, made righteous in the sight of God, set free, set free, set free from the bondage of sin and death. And yet, Despite all that, too often Christians still look like who they used to be. And when we miss that the new covenant of Jesus. In his body and blood shed for us a new covenant for, his, for the forgiveness of sins. Sometimes we miss that this new covenant was supposed to make a new kind of people. So here's what I just want to tell you today that we're going to kind of lean into today that is the last part of this message. Jesus didn't die and resurrect only to get you into heaven, but also to get heaven into you. It's not a either or. I'm not listen, I'm so grateful. I want to go to heaven. Anybody else join me? I want to go to heaven, but I believe that Jesus also died to get heaven and earth. In fact, he prayed that. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That somehow through his work and through the Father's work in him, that heaven would come to earth. So Jesus didn't die and resurrect just to get heaven into us, into heaven, but also to get heaven to us. In creation, God was over us. In the temple and in the law, God was God to us. If the birth of Christ, he was God with us, the cross of Christ was God for us. But so often that we miss, we miss that the purpose of Jesus tearing down this curtain and opening up was to get God in us, to get us into the world. The purpose was not just to give us access into the presence of God, but to give the presence of God access into our hearts so that in this world where there is this knowledge of good and evil and people can't tell which is which, that there might be a signpost, there might be a light, there might be a presence to the world of people who are a new kind of people. That's what it was all about. Tearing down this curtain. Here's the way that the Apostle Paul would later say it. Don't you know, this is pretty radical. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? Now, last week I said that Jesus said something pretty profound. He said, I tell you the truth, something greater than the temple is here. And he was talking about himself himself. But after he died and resurrected, he was talking about you. He was talking about you. Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? He says, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. We are the temple of God. The temple is done. There's no more building. There's no more curtain. There's no more temple that people have to make a mecca to every year to be in the presence of God. It's real easy. People can be in the presence of God across the aisle in the next cubicle if the presence of God lives in us. And this is so important because your destiny and the you God created you to be can only be found with the Holy Spirit living in you. You will miss out on what God has for you if you think Jesus only came to give you a ticket to heaven. Let me say that one more time. You will miss out on what Jesus wants for you if you think he only came to give you a ticket to heaven. I hope you get the ticket, but I'd love for you to join the game while you're here. Because I think that you have a purpose here, joining his mission on earth. We are to take the presence of God, this presence in our lives, we are to take this out into the world. This new covenant, people, was supposed to be, a new life people, and it's God's plan to save the world. And this is how this is how you're like, well, how are we going to do that? How are we I mean Jesus is gone. He, he ascended into heaven, and he gave us his spirit. He said He would give us his spirit to live in us. So how in the world are we going to make this happen on Earth? Well, right before He died, Jesus told us. Isn't that good news? Don't you want to know? Right before he was crucified, last meeting with his disciples, this is what he said. By this, by this, this will be the trademark, this will be be the stamp that people will know that you are my disciples if you put a four Birmingham sticker on your car. Right? If you have a Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven tag on the front of your car. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have a cross around your neck. By this, everyone will yo- know that you're my disciples if you have a Hobby Lobby scripture verse in your foyer. How many of you have a Hobby Lobby scripture verse in your foyer We have a really great Hobby Lobby sign, and our, our small group was talking about our Hobby Lobby sign. I love it, I love it. That's not how people know we're disciples. By this, people you know you're my disciples, by who you vote for. By this, people, will know who are my disciples? If you go to church every Sunday. Is that what he said? By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. In other words, if you guys won't love one another, if you won't love well, People won't be able to tell that you're my disciples, no matter how many Hobby Lobby signs you have in your house, no matter how many crosses you have around your neck, no matter how many stickers you have on the back of your car, no matter who you vote for, or no matter how many years you have perfect attendance in church, if you don't love one another well, people won't be able to tell that you're my disciples. And this message and this mission will miss out and will fall flat. It hinges upon my people loving one another. It hinges upon new people, a new covenant people with a new life living in them. This was God's mission and his plan through Jesus, and he wants me and you to join it. It's simply this, the way the world sees how God loves people is how Jesus' followers love people. That's it. We say, like, oh, no, no, no. Just read the Bible. Just read the Bible. You'll be able to tell the story. You'll love the story. And you know what most of the world would say? I'm reading you. I'm reading you. The way the world sees how God loves people is how Jesus' followers love people. Too many Christians never joined the mission, never since this call, they never, they never take this step, and they look like who they used to be because they have an incomplete understanding of God. Too many Christians stop at salvation, at conversion, at what the fancy theologians call justification, and they never take the step Toward holiness, toward discipleship, toward what the fancy theologians call sanctification. But Jesus never once told his disciples to go and make converts. He looked them eyeball to eyeball and said, Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples and teach them to obey. Everything that I have commanded you. What did you command them? Well, here's this command. It was pretty simple. This is how you'll know they're my disciples, right? To love one another. That's it. Go teach them what I have commanded you. And we will miss out on our purpose in life if we think that all Jesus is about to us is a good luck charm and a ticket to heaven because of what Christ has done in us and for us because we will miss out on what Christ wants to do through us and for others. So I want to kind of close our time out in this series today because I think this is so critical. I think this is what the American church has missed out on for decades. And I also think that this is the key to revival. This is the key to revival. The earliest Christians overturned an empire and changed the world because they loved so well and so radically that people couldn't make sense of it and wanted to know who their God was. So after, uh, so Peter and uh, his, uh, the apostles, they, they start this movement out. So let me just kind of catch you up. Peter. He uh, preaches what he's known and what he's seen, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he has died for the sin of the world, that he is resurrected. They were literally eyewitnesses to it. And in fact, he tells everyone around there that he is the fulfillment of the promise that God had made through Abraham, that God's law had been made complete in Jesus, that everything that the prophets had testified to, Jesus was the fulfillment of. And lo and behold... Lo and behold, 3,000 people come to Christ that first day. That was a good day. That was a good day. We're hoping to have some people come forward and be baptized. I don't know that we'll hit 3,000 today. That was a good day. 3,000 people. And from that moment on, from that moment on, the church lived with this tension Because Peter preached what was the gospel, that this is not through our works, this is not through obedience to the law, that our righteousness is through faith in Christ given by God's grace on the cross, and that his resurrection sealed that forever to give us victory over sin and death. So, people struggled with this, if it doesn't matter what I do and it's all free, then I can do whatever I want. Because Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven, right? So if I've got this on my car and I cut you off, no sweat. (laughs) We're not perfect, we're just forgiven. So if I flick you off and I've got this on my car, no sweat. We're not expected to be perfect. I'm saved by grace alone through faith, right? There's something that's been, and and so then we just, that's kind of the attitude that we often take. I was converted to Jesus. I got saved, and that was it, and my destiny is sealed because of what Christ has done in me, and I'm going to memorize some Bible verses now, and I'm going to learn the Bible. But I heard this quote a few months ago, and it has been rocking me to the core, and it's really how I want to share it with you today and what I want to speak to you with is that you can get an A-plus in Bible and flunk Christianity. The point was never for you to know what it says. The point was for us to do what it says. It doesn't matter if you know Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself if you're really lousy at loving your neighbor as yourself. What matters is if we do what it says. And so there's this tension. Does it matter if salvation is free, and it is, and grace is abundant, and it is, and if there's always more grace to cover our sin, and there always is, does, should we just live it up? And Paul wrote this, God came back in Jesus one more time to call Paul to clarify and strengthen the message of what it meant to be a spirit-filled people living in the world. And I want to camp out in a few of Paul's messages to help clear this up for us and give us some teeth to the mission God has called each of us to. Paul said it this way in uh, Galatians 5. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. In other words, you're free from having to adhere to the law. You don't have to follow these 613 rules, these 10 commandments to get favor with God. You are free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law, all 613, all 10 commandments, is fulfilled in keeping this one Command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? The grace and open access that God gave us through Christ's death is not a license to sin because we're forgiven. In Christ, we don't have to follow the laws to get God's approval. Rather, God's approval was made known to us in Christ because Christ died for all. And now I am obedient to that spirit that saved me. Now I surrender to the life and the spirit because Christ loved me and gave himself up for me. Since Christ broke down the barrier and opened the curtain and gave me access to life and salvation and eternity with him, the least I can do, the least I can do is love others the way he loved me because I probably won't have to go to a cross for them like he went to a cross for me. We're motivated now by a different law, love. Paul doubled down in Romans to say it a little more clearly. He said it this way, or don't you know That all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. And we said that. Did you catch that, Jeff, Jake, Melissa? They all said that. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We say it every time we baptize and it becomes so routine in church. We buried with Christ in baptism, raised to new life in Christ We are being made new. The death of Jesus opened the door for the forgiveness of sin and access to God, but the resurrection of Jesus opens the door to a new life and a relationship with the living God. The old self is gone. We are crucified and raised to a new life, and so here's a sobering thought, friends, a sobering thought that we just don't talk about in church enough. We don't talk about it in ministry enough, but it's this. The only way to resurrect a new you is the death of the old you. The only way to resurrect a new you is the death of a new you. The old you and the old me has to die if we're going to be raised to new life. And too many Christians still look like they used to because they believe believe that Jesus died for them But they've never died for Jesus. And if you want salvation, if you want eternal life apart from this life in the Spirit, if you want to go to heaven without surrendering your life here on earth to Christ, you want cheap grace. You want a ticket instead of a Lord and Savior. And this whole series, I've been talking about how this journey that we're on, that I want to give you tools to reach your destiny, to reach you, to reach the the real you, but here's what I want to tell you. Here's where the real you really is. It starts in your grave. Because we believe in a God who turns graves into gardens. We believe in a God who raises death to life. And the only way you are going to find your destiny is if you are willing to die to your own hopes and dreams and surrender to his dreams and his hopes for you. And I want to promise you something. They're better than yours. They're better than yours. He wants more for you than you want for yourself. So would you just surrender To that? Would you just surrender to Him? That's your destiny. Paul wrote it this way. It was unbelievable. You are a letter from Christ. This is your destiny. This is God's dream for you. Written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And we are all being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory comes from, the Spirit, comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, if you have been with us all four weeks or you've been tuning in all four weeks, thank you so much for watching these four weeks. And if you've been studying along in this study, this is a stunning passage from Paul. Because 650 years before, the prophet Jeremiah wrote this. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. This is the covenant I will make. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. For I will forgive their sins and remember forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. And you know who Jeremiah was talking about? You, me, that he would write us on our hearts, that we would be the new covenant, that we would be the new covenant people because of this new covenant. In creation, God was in the garden. In the law, God was in the temple. In Jesus, God was in a person. But in the church of Jesus Christ, God is in his people. And we take the life out into the world. We take the life out into our our circle of friends. We take the life out into the community. God made a covenant with the world by writing laws on tablets of stone, and now he's made a covenant with the world by writing his spirit on us. The way the world sees how God loves the world is how Jesus' followers love people. The way the world sees how God loves people is how Jesus' followers love people. Now, being filled with the Spirit sounds kind of spirity, right? You're like, what does that look like? That's spiritual. Am I supposed to be really spiritual? What does that mean? I mean, how, how, how am I supposed to be filled with the Spirit? How am I supposed to be this person that takes the presence of God out into the world? I kind of want to do that, Carter, but I'm not exactly sure how to do that. Paul cleared it up for you in really plain terms. This is what he said. The fruit, the evidence of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against things like this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the self, with its passions and desires. Those who are in Christ Jesus, those who have accepted Christ, those who have been saved, those who have been made into the presence of God and into the people of God, we have crucified ourselves and we have chosen through obedience to yield our lives to love, to joy. Are you spreading love? Are you joyful at your office? Are you peace, love, joy, peace, Patience. Are you patient with your family? Are you kind on Facebook? Are you kind? On Twitter. Because you remember what Jesus said? Like if this is how they'll know. So if we're not loving, if we're not filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, then people won't be able to see the evidence. People won't be able to see the fruit in our lives. We'll look like dead trees to the world. And how in the world will the world know that God loves them if God's people can't even love? In your neighborhood, at your office, with your family, do you have some family with whom it is difficult to be loving, peaceful, patient, kind, good. You got some family? Thanksgiving's coming. Do you have some areas of your life it's difficult to have self-control? This means every time students, young people, this means every time you step in the classroom, you say, I'm stepping in this classroom with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And wouldn't it be awesome if a 30 or 40 or 50-year-old teacher looked at a 16-year-old and said, what is so different about you than all the other students? And you said, ma'am, sir, I am filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faith control because I'm filled with the Spirit. They might say, tell the other kids how to do that. <laughs> what if every time you stepped in the office, what if every time you got on with the Little League baseball team, what if every time you went to the Neighborhood Association meeting, what if every time you logged online that you were had the fruit of the Spirit in your lives, that we look different, the way the world sees how God loves people is how Jesus' followers love people that's it and here's why this matters here's why this matters because there is a final chapter to the story and it's so good Eden is restored the presence of God is made fully known the tree of life is back where it is supposed to be and we have full access to it and the curse of death is gone It says it this way in Revelation 22, the angel showed me, this is like near the very end of the Bible, and this is why this is so important, because there is a final chapter to the story that we haven't gotten to yet. The angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. It started in a garden, but we end in a city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing the 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And brothers and sisters, do you think the nations could need some healing? And no longer, no longer will there be any curse. It's gone The knowledge of good and evil is gone. We don't even know evil exists anymore. There's the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and there will be no more night and there will not be a need for a light of the lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. And don't you want your friends to see it? And don't you want that neighbor that didn't even think about tuning into a church this morning or going to church to be there? And don't you want your son-in-law to be there? And don't you want your college roommate to be there? Students, don't you want your teammates to be there? Don't you want the people that you say you love to be there? The only way they're going to be there is if they see the love of God in us. What if... What if Christians didn't look like who they used to be, but look like who God created us to be? What if Christians didn't look like the person that went in the water, but look like the person that God wanted to come out of the water? What if the fruit of the Spirit was so clear in our lives, That every person that laid eyes on us would say, you look different.